Morning. Glad you all braved the cold to come out this morning. I was teasing a guy here. He's from Montana. I said, man, it's just a summer day in Montana day. And he's, no, it's cold even for Montana. I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. He said, I don't miss it at all. So uh, I understand that it's super cold out there, but I'm glad you guys are with us. We got hot coffee and that's going to be the key to survive in the morning. I don't know how it works in your family, but in mine, the day after Thanksgiving, if Laura's driving, we are listening to Christmas music. She's all about Christmas. She loves it. If it was like, uh, it could come, it can't come fast enough for her. I mean, the decorations, everything. She's all about it. But uh, I'm not a huge Christmas music lover myself. But if Mama's happy, everybody's happy. You know what I'm saying? So we uh, we listen to Christmas music. And uh, the other day we were driving somewhere. I can't even remember now where uh, we were headed. But the uh, song White Christmas came on the radio. The old school, slow, I'm dreaming, deep, throaty of a white Christmas. Uh, that was on the radio. Lana says, who is this? I said, it's, uh, it's Perry Como. She, Perry Como? Uh, truthfully, I have no idea who sings that song. But as a kid, I remember finding this vinyl album with uh, the dude's hair all gelled over to one side. He was wearing white. It was Perry Como. And for whatever reason, that's just always stuck with me. So uh, any Christmas song, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, is Perry Como singing that song. But uh, if you know my daughter, then you know she's not one to give up on the questions. So we had to talk about Perry Como for a while. Then we had to talk about what he meant by white Christmas. So then that led us in to snow, which led us to Olaf. But Olaf doesn't like the cold or the snow. He wants to find summer. And it was just this long, drawn-out conversation. Yet, in the midst of all of this, this verse popped into my mind about how God makes us white like snow. This is the actual verse. It's Isaiah 118. It says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Love how God says that. Come now, let's settle this. Because here's what I know for many people. This issue of forgiveness, the idea that that Jesus makes your sins white like snow, that's not settled at all. Can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that say, well, God couldn't possibly forgive me. I've done too much. Yet God here just says, let's settle this. Once and for all, I'm going to make your sins white like snow. You didn't do that. God did that. He said, I'm going to settle this. I'm making your sins white like snow. So this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of forgiveness. I want to provide some clarity around this idea that God can make your sins white like snow. I'm calling this message the ghosts of Christmas past because what I have found, at least in my own life, is periodically I have these voices whispering in my head that says, hey, remember that time you, remember when that happened? And all these things, these memories start popping up and I feel like, well, maybe God couldn't forgive me for this. Even though Isaiah has made it clear, we've settled this, your sins are going to be white like snow. Sometimes I have a really hard time believing that. Furthermore, I have a harder time living it frequently. 
memories or I'll see somebody or different events kind of happen or I'll go someplace that triggers in my mind these uh, events that I've done or been a part of or they bring shame and regret and embarrassment. Perhaps right now you can think of things in your own mind where you're like, what was I even thinking? My point is not to rehash any of those events as much as it is to point out that there are these things that happen, these ghosts that kind of whisper into your ear, these things to bring shame instead of healing, to not let you get to the point, as Isaiah pointed out, that your sins are white like snow. So right out of the gates, I want to point something out incredibly important. God never said that he would forget your sins. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you're going to want to try and quote Hebrews 8, 12 to me, which says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. But pay careful attention to what he said. He said, I will remember your sins no more. He didn't say that he was going to forget your sins. Uh, the Greek word for remember there is the word mimnieskomai. Love that word. Mimnieskomai. Can we just say that together? Isn't that a fun word? Uh, mimnieskomai. Mimnieskomai. Now, this week at your Christmas party, you can be like, hey, mimnieskomai, that time you spilled coffee on your computer. That was crazy. Uh, remember, don't do that, actually. It just means remember. In your Bible, the word reads remember, but it's the Greek word mimnieskomai. It literally translates, I won't bring it up again. Doesn't mean forget. It means I'm not holding that against you. In other words, every time you remember a sin, that's not God bringing it up. It's your enemy, the devil, trying to bring shame instead of healing. So it's not that God forgets. He can't forget. He's God. It means that he's not going to bring it up. The devil does, or you do. I don't want to give the devil too much credit. Sometimes you are your own worst enemy. And because of that, I want to talk about some of these ghosts, some of these voices that maybe are talking to you or your own self, bringing up these things, these ghosts of Christmas past. Here's the first one. You might jot these down if you're taking notes. The ghost of time. There's a ghost of time. It's the ghost that says time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time does nothing to heal your wounds. The key to healing is action. It's not time. It's what you do with your time that provides healing. It's not the time itself. Watch this, Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, or he who just waits around to feel better never does, but whoever confesses and renounces his sin finds mercy. See, time doesn't heal all wounds. Confessing the sin heals all wounds. In fact, the brother of Jesus, James, he'd go on to say that if you confess your sins to one another, then you will be healed. He doesn't say just spend as much time not thinking about it as possible, and eventually time will make the thing disappear or go away. He says, confess, and then you'll be healed. This is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group. 
I want a place for you to be healed. I don't think you need one more thing to do on any given week. I think you need a place where you can get around people that can help provide healing to your life. You say, well, well, isn't that what church is for? Pastor, can't I confess my sin in church? And the Bible makes it clear, absolutely. You confess your sins to God, you will be forgiven. But the Bible also makes it clear that you need somebody in your life that you can confess your sins to so that you can be healed. There's a big difference between being forgiven, which you are, and being healed, which some of you may not be. And the devil knows that. That's why he wants to put this voice in your head, this ghost, as it were, that says, well, we got games, we got practice, we got teenagers, pastor, you don't know what it's like. I'm trying to get my degree, need that I can't find time, you know, got to study and all this. I can read the Bible on my own. I don't need to read it with somebody else. I'm just an introvert. I don't need people all up in my business, pastor. We don't need group the same way other people need group. I don't need friends the same way other people need friends. Yes, you do. If you want to find healing, then yes, you do. If you want to live the best life possible, man was not created to be alone, Genesis says, then yes, you do. The reason most people don't make small group a priority or getting in a group of people where they have the freedom to be open and honest and confess their sins to one another, the reason most people don't want to do that is one of two reasons. Either A, they don't believe this verse or are just ignorant of it, but now you can't use that excuse. Or B, they feel like if they confess their sin to anybody else, then what are those people going to think about them? It's actually ghost number two, the ghost of shame. The reason most people don't want to confess their sins to one another is because they want to provide this mask that they're perfect. They have shame in their life, ghost of shame. We beat ourselves up. We're nervous about impressing other people, and so we don't want anybody to know the deep, dark secrets in our life. King David talks about this in Psalm 38. He writes, I'm drowning in the flood of my sins. They are a burden too heavy to bear because I've been foolish. You been there? (laughs) Foolish? I'm utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. Maybe you're right there right now. Came in this morning, burdened, crushed, been foolish, in despair, a troubled heart. You're wondering what you need to do in order to feel better. For me, my breaking point came in college. Distinctly remember uh, being in my dorm room one morning and thinking, is this really all that life has to offer? I was out partying all the time, getting in fights, failing classes. I I absolutely remember feeling like I was going to die one night when a guy pulled out some guns at a party. And they started fighting. Thank the Lord they didn't start shooting at one another. And I thought, is this really what life looks like for the rest of my life? Transferred schools, got involved with uh, different programs, started leading in some different areas. But all the while, in the back of my mind, I thought there's no way God could ever use somebody like me. I've done too much. I was burdened, chained up, shackled by my own insecurities. Very much shame what I'd done. Do you have shame and regret in your life? I'm going to tell you how you can beat it. 
First, we need to talk about one more ghost. Here it is, number three, the ghost of blame. Ghost of blame. Nobody likes to take responsibility for their actions anymore. We like to blame other people. I know I've shared this story before, but a few months ago, uh, came home, found some crayon on the wall. Go to Leighton. He's the oldest. Say, what, what's the deal, son? You got some, somebody's been drawn on the wall. Said it was Lana. All right, go to Lana. Lana, what, what's the deal? There's a crayon on the wall. Who's drawn on the wall? She says it was Gina. <laughs> Gina's a dog, babe. I mean, there's no... Uh, she. Listen, if she pulled out a crayon and started drawing on the wall, we're missing out on a big financial opportunity here because I haven't seen many dogs without the opposable thumb being able to draw around on the wall. But nobody wants to take responsibility. It always goes down the line. And it's happened since the beginning of time. God makes human beings, puts them in the Garden of Eden, man and woman, Adam and Eve, and says, one rule, don't eat from this one tree. Well, they eat from the tree. God shows up, asks, did you eat from any fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden? It was the woman you put me with, says Adam. What me is that woman you brought me? So God goes to the woman and says, what did you do? She says, a snake tricked me. I ate. Gave it to that poor sap Adam. He does whatever I say. Uh, Not much has changed. Anyway, it wasn't me. It was the woman right? It wasn't me. It was that snake. You know, nobody wants to take responsibility in a few thousand years of human history has not changed that. We blame others. We listen to the ghost that says it was their fault. I wouldn't have done that, but they coaxed me in to doing it. So what can we do about this? How can we beat these Ghosts. I think there's a couple things that you can do to literally have a white Christmas this year, to find forgiveness, to make this idea that it's settled, your sins can be forgiven. Here's number one. Stop trying to earn forgiveness. You can stop trying to earn your forgiveness. If you know you've done things that are wrong, the Bible would call those things sin. So if you know that you've sinned, then you need to stop trying to earn your forgiveness. Stop wasting your time. God's already paid the price for you. It's Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus paid the price for your sin. One of you are still with me this morning. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. You can't earn your forgiveness. It's a gift given by God. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. Because if you think you have to earn God's forgiveness, then you're going to make everybody else earn forgiveness from you. Can I preach on that for a second? You did nothing to earn your forgiveness. And if you make other people try and earn your forgiveness because of something that they've done from you to you, man, we're in trouble. I mean, I, I can say it this way. If you don't give it, maybe you ain't got it. And that's sad, sad news. If you're trying to make somebody jump through some hoops to get forgiveness from you, then you're in the wrong. Doesn't mean you have to bring people back into your life. You maybe never see that person again. You maybe never talk to them 
again. But remember our word for remember, meme niesco. I'm never going to bring it up again. That's all you have to do to forgive somebody. I'm not going to bring it up again. This isn't going to impact my life anymore. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to see them. None of that stuff. You simply decide to forgive them as Christ forgave you. You refuse to bring it up. You can't earn something that's free. Stop trying to earn your forgiveness. Just accept it as the free gift that it was designed to be, that Jesus Christ gave to you by coming to this earth and dying on a cross. Here's number two. Defeat every lie with the truth. You want a white Christmas? Defeat every lie with the truth. Stop trying to earn your forgiveness. Defeat every lie with the truth. Your sin is not who you are. John 8.44 tells us that the devil is the father of lies, that the only language that he speaks is deceit and lying. And the biggest lie the devil wants you to believe right now is that what you did is who you are. You are not your sin. The devil wants you to believe that you're just a drunk or you're an addict or you're an adulterer or you're horrible with money. You're a bad parent. You're a thief. You're a bully. You're a bum. You're a liar. No, 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 no. You are not the sin that's in your life. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and He freed us. He what? Freed us from sin. Man, notice your part in that equation. Uh, you are not pure or holy, so Christ made you that way, and you're a slave, so He had to free us. Man, good news for you is that Christ did all of that for you, because you couldn't do it yourself. You want to have a white Christmas this year, free from guilt, free from shame. You better learn how to defeat every lie with the truth. You better learn how to say, "Who he who is in me is stronger than he who is in the world. I can say no to a drink. I can say no to temptation because no temptation has seized me except what's common to man. But Christ has given me the strength to stand up under that temptation No, I'm not the same person that I was anymore because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. See what I'm doing there? According to Scripture. That's why you've got to get in your Bible. Start memorizing the truth for yourself. That's what Jesus did. Every time he was tempted, he quoted Scripture. You know what the devil did every time he tempted him? Quoted Scripture. So you better... Be not just reading your Bible. You need to be studying it. You need to know what the actual truth is. Don't just read it. Let the Bible impact your life. Let it wash over you. Understand the message, the core message, what Scripture is trying to teach you. That you can defeat sin because of what Christ did for you and in your life. You need to make it habitual. You need to find a Bible reading plan. You need to find a certain time. You need to get in there and read it every single day. Make it habitual for your life so that you can defeat every lie, the truth. Here's number three. Own it and move on. Own it and move on. Don't get caught playing the blame game. Own your sin and move on. Now, this is hard because we don't ever feel like we did anything wrong. Sure, we were like 2% responsible. 
But, I mean, oh, 98%, that's not on us. If they wouldn't have done that 98, we wouldn't have got in our two, and then, you know, we wouldn't have sinned. But that's most people's problem. See, we like to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their actions. They did something wrong. We didn't mean it that way. We wouldn't have done it if they wouldn't have done it. If somebody hurts us, they're a horrible person. But if we hurt somebody, that wasn't our intention. We didn't mean for it to happen that way. But our call as Christians is to own our mistakes. As I already talked about, it's to confess them to one another so that we can be healed. But then it's also to move on. Check it, Philippians 3.13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what's done is done. You confess it before God. You confess it to one another so you can be healed. You can't get back the time, but you can make the most of the future. And that's what you need to do. You might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, you have no idea what I went through. You have no idea what's been done to me. You have no idea what I've done. And you might very well be right. I've heard some of your stories. They're awful, horrible, deplorable things. And they've been done to you. And I've heard of some things that you've done, and they were not good either. But not saying you should somehow pretend that they weren't hurtful. They were. Not saying that somehow you should just pretend that you don't deserve an apology because you do. What I'm saying is by not moving on, the only person that you're hurting is yourself. You've heard me say this before, is that hurting people hurt people. So if you've been hurt by somebody, I promise you, the last thing that they're thinking of is how much they hurt you. They're thinking about how hurt they are on the inside. Because hurting people hurt people. They're not at all concerned with you. Concerned about the hurt that they have in their own life. And so by you continuing to hang on to it, the only thing you're doing is poisoning your own life. They're not worried about you. So why are you allowing them to continue to hurt you? Mimniescomai. Remember it no more. Forgive it. Move on. And if you've done something wrong, you need to apologize. You need to own your mistake. And then you need to move on. Don't try and expect some sort of magical thing to happen after you confessed your sin to that person and said, look, I was wrong. They need time to process it themselves. Let me tell you, though, what you can do about it. Number four, allow God to turn it around for good. Those hurtful things that were done to you, those horrible things that you've done, allow God to turn it around for good. I, ha- I heard a pastor once say, your scene is not your story. The scene of life that you're in, the hurtful one, that's not your story. Don't allow this scene to dictate the end to your story. It's really good preaching right there. Nobody said anything to me about that. And I'm a little hurt by that. Your scene is not your story. There's this guy named Saul in the Bible. If you know the story. You know this first scene as he stones a man to death. Literally holds cloaks so other people can throw rocks at a Christian who was preaching the good news of Jesus until he died. 
hit him with rocks until he died. That's scene one. Scene two, you get to see Saul dragging men and women and children from their homes in order to arrest them and kill them because they believed in Jesus Christ. These are the scenes to Saul's life. But when you see the end, you see a guy named Paul. And he allows God to turn his scenes around for good. Here's Saul's words who became Paul in 1 Timothy. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, whom I'm the worst. Saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners, whom I'm the worst. See, everything you know about Saul, that he became Paul, and what he did after that, he took ownership. He didn't cast blame. He knew who he was before Christ. He owned it. And then he moved on because of who he was in Christ. He confessed that sin to other people. Took years for him to gain trust among Christians after they'd heard about him. But he moved past his sin. He strained forward to what was ahead. My point in telling you that story is, who's to say you're not the next Paul? You have no idea what God can accomplish through your life right now. You have no idea the lives he wants to change through you right now this morning. If you get nothing else I say, that's what you need to remember. You have no idea what God wants to do through your story. Don't allow this scene to impact your story. God can redeem it and use it for his glory. Listen to me. The issue of sin is settled. Jesus has cleansed you white as snow. That's the message of Christmas. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth as a baby in order to settle this issue that we have sin in our lives. And we can't earn our own forgiveness. So somebody had to pay a price for us. Jesus said, I can do that. So he came to earth as a baby. Don't ever let somebody tell you that that we serve the same God if they're not serving Jesus Christ. We don't serve the same God. No other religion ever claims to actually be God. Prophet Muhammad said, I ain't God, because he wasn't. But Jesus is the only person who ever said, I am God, and I'm the only way that you can get to God in the future. Don't ever let somebody tell you that differently. That's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus wants to forgive you. And the only thing that you have to do in return is accept this free gift of salvation. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If every head bow, every eye closed. If you've never accepted this free gift of salvation, the Bible says confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. 
So would you pray along with me just in your heart right now? Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've fallen short. But I believe in Jesus that he came to this earth that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. God, I thank you for that new life. I thank you for every life and every person here this morning. I thank you for their stories. I'm not necessarily thankful for the scenes, but God, I'm thankful that you can turn those around for your good. God, I ask that you let every person leave here this morning believing that you've settled this, that they are forgiven, that they are white like snow. Ask that you don't let any ghosts come up anymore, that we can beat these temptations because of who you are and who we are in Christ. God, we love you. We thank you most of all for this free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.